Good morning. Welcome to the Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast. I'm Nathan, and joining me today is Chrissy. Hi, everyone. And Susie. Hello. And Craig. Hello. And today it's green. Woo-hoo. Well, at the moment it's green. That's gone blue. Oh, it's gone blue. Okay. Cyan now. We're sitting in Nathan's house, (laughs) and he's got RGB LEDs in his lounge room. Yeah, they're not talking about my hair. No. (laughs) Nathan has a new house, and we're recording in my house. It's quite exciting. Yay. For me. You guys don't care. No, we don't. So, (laughs) there was a conference recently, and everyone but me went. Did you go, Chrissy? No, I didn't. Everyone but me and Chrissy went. (laughs) So, half of us went. Susie and Craig went. (laughs) And it was great. It was awesome, as always, I'm sure. Yes. You Especially fill us in on night. some of the highlights. Tell us what happened. <laughs> what, the singing? Was it the singing? That, uh... <laughs> so, well, there were some very interesting presenters. Most of them were science-based. There was one that wasn't particularly science-based. Yeah, the, the most interesting, in inverted commas, speaker was a guy who was talking about uh, essentially the cure for all chronic disease. Mm. It was very interesting. Right. Very interesting. <laughs> Did you believe it? it okay, so what he... So I'll start by saying um, his abstract stroke bio in the little book said that he was an IT professional from Wellington ah, and that he was going to tell suspicious. us about the <laughs> causes for chronic disease and then his journey to find out what the cure for these chronic diseases was. Right. It's fascinating. Um, I must say we started the day though, I want to say we started the day with Professor Jean Fleming who's um, Professor of Science Communication at Otago and she gave quite a good talk about how you communicate with people and it was much more about engaging in a dialogue and not beating them over the head with your science. It was it was very interesting. But then when um, this gentleman uh. took to the stage, we were given an opportunity to practice <laughs> the skills that Jean had been right. trying to um, teach us, I guess. Hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so it was, it was fascinating because what he did was he started by talking about... Was it a sister or a friend? Somebody who had... Somebody very close to him. Somebody had who had... I had a feeling it was his cousin or something. Someone had a chronic disease. And so he started on this journey to to find out more on the internet. (laughs) Always Um, a bad step. (laughs) Well, he's an IT guy. Well, yeah, exactly. And this is sort of what's really interesting because he, you know, he's very, I guess, by personality, a very methodical, very analytical person. And so he went through all, you know, lots of material on the internet, found something in particular. Latched on to, Latched on to, okay, latched on to something in particular. But then sort of talked us through the process of, you know, reading the 400 pages on the web about this particular thing. Did he say what it was? Oh, oh yeah, 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 called yeah, the Marshall yeah. Protocol. Marshall Protocol. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Um, so he went through all of these things, and so he was trying to explain to us what this evidence and inverted commas was and then he there's there's a there's a group of people who are trying out the Marshall protocol and so he went onto the um the forum where you basically talk about how you're doing on it and then went and met a couple of the people in New Zealand who are taking who are doing the Marshall protocol and then decided to take it himself for his own chronic disease which we sort of found out 
a bit later on that he had a chronic disease. Um, and it was just absolutely fascinating because it was essentially based on nothing, it was a, a series of anecdotes, and yeah. then he tried it. So, so the, the, the protocol itself was about reducing vitamin D intake. Reducing vitamin D. And yeah, getting rid of vitamin D. Okay, so the cause of all chronic disease, as far as these people are concerned, is the microbes in our body and vitamin D. And so you have to get rid of your vitamin D completely. You have to remove it from your diet. (laughs) (laughs) And wear hats outside. Wear hats. (laughs) Perhaps made of tinfoil. And we're being told that we need more vitamin D. Well, yeah. You have to take a prescription-only drug that isn't available here. You have to buy. You have to get your doctor to write your prescription, and then you have to buy it on the internet. Mm, that's right. A of drug course. that essentially blocks vitamin D from doing wasn't something. Wasn't it? Wasn't it something about a? a it's a vitamin a, D receptor. A, in your right, and body. it was a, it was a um, drug designed for heart attack patients, wasn't something it? Something like that. Yeah. And did he yeah. cure his chronic disease? Well, what, we'll get to that in a minute. Whichever it um, was. So he. And then, and the other thing is, you have to take loads of antibiotics to kill off your gut flora. So, as a microbiologist, well, yeah, precisely. Anyway, so the so the the, so the thought that all complicated chronic diseases could be caused by this two particular things is is sort of the first red flag, I guess. And then the second that oh, he even said that you have to take them, you have to follow the Marshall Protocol for about ten years. More than 10 years for it to be effective. So already that's sort of another sort of red flag. Right. Um, And then it's essentially a self-selecting group who keep reporting their things on the forum. So people who stop following it because it's not working for them obviously don't are are lost from the study, so to speak. Hmm. 10 years is a long time. Study, in inverted commas. Um, But yeah, so he, we asked him what his chronic disease was and it was um, heartburn, it turns out. Um... (laughs) I have a question. <laughs> <laughs> and he took 10 years to cure that. No, no, it didn't take very long at all. Um, mainly we think because um, one of the symptom, one of the causes of heartburn can be um, infection with a bacterium called uh, Helicobacter pylori. And so actually if he, he did take some antibiotics, it's quite possible that he it could have, have got rid of it. Helicobacter. Yeah. So he so probably did the one thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So he probably had the one thing that you could actually treat with the Marshall Protocol inadvertently. Um, Antibiotics. But I was just astonished that his doctor, you know... I was going to ask that. So he's managed to get a doctor to write him yeah, a prescription for yeah. vitamin D blockers. And antibiotics. Which he will not buy in New Zealand, he has to. He has the to get the, 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 the antibiotics he, he, his doctor would have had to prescribe him. But the other ones... Um, so for 10 years. Years. No, no, he didn't do it for 10 years. He didn't do it for very long at no, all, okay. actually, because his doctor was monitoring something and it wasn't... And some levels of something were going... Not and well, remind so he, me again, how long does it take before you diagnose with a chronic illness or chronic disease uh, compared to acute? What What is oh, the timeline? Uh, oh, probably... Well, a long time, I guess. It's the sort of thing that you you either keep going back to the doctor and they haven't... I mean, the problem is there's so many different chronic mm. diseases. Of course. Loads of chronic diseases. By definition, though, chronic is something that's over a long time yeah. and acute is something yeah. that comes and goes quite fast. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was fascinating. I've, and, I mean, he started his talk by saying that um, all you know, animals can't be used to do anything, to find out anything in science. Yeah, so animal models are no Animal good. models are no good, so you've got to use this thing in people oh. and stuff. So it was quite amazing, really, because um, I just, I was, I was really 
quite proud of myself actually i i restrained just restrained and i kind of let quite a lot of the other the audience do some of my questioning while i was just kind of going i'm not really sure where to go with this or what to ask because yeah. i'm kind of wow so well, i think we were quite well behaved as an audience actually and we didn't really um we didn't attack him we no. asked lots of skeptical questions um and um i guess he was quite defensive so defensive. basically you guys were just trolled yeah, I, I don't think that was his intention. Not and his intention, but someone booked him in the program. Well, actually, and obviously he knew uh, that we, he we did ask about that, and and he apparently volunteered to speak. Yeah, yeah he um, asked so, to speak. Uh, and perhaps yeah, they didn't was ask a, what was it. What is it you're going to be talking well, about? Well, perhaps perhaps there was a, um, a sort of a lack of speakers, and so anybody who volunteered. <laughs> but also, I think it, you know, not everyone else had picked up from his from the thing that that was something to be alarmed about what he was going right. to talk so about. So as abstract as came a, across as, a, as quite... Well, as a medical person, it rang every alarm bell that <laughs> I have. But as non-medical people, it was just a, yeah, whatever kind of thing. Um, so it was interesting for me to talk... Because I had said from the very beginning, this is the one talk I'm really interested in because I can't. I, it sounds to me like someone who doesn't know what he's talking about. Right. And nobody else had really picked up on that at all. But he no. appeared sincere. Absolutely his... sincere. Yeah. And and so for us, it was just the most interesting thing in how somebody who's clearly intelligent and, can you know, can, can go the That's wrong the way, can, yeah. can look at the same evidence, in inverted commas, that we look at and come to completely different But because conclusion. he took antibiotics, he needed to have heartburn. That could cure it. He was cured. He thinks it's a miracle in a way. Or he thinks it's that. Yeah, he thinks, he thinks it's, what it's he that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, well, I was just, but I was really proud of us. We um, <laughs> we took everything Jean said on board. We entered into a dialogue. We didn't. So lots of questions, anyway. not too it many. Was, you're an idiot. Yeah, but well, it, but it, but it was no, also trying to. I don't think there were to, any. Idi- you're an idiot. No, okay. it was trying to explain. Well, actually, this is what you're telling us. This is this is what our interpretation of the, what you're telling us is. Um. But he, you know, obviously we didn't change his mind, but it was just fascinating to see his thought processes and how you can get them so badly wrong. But so this what is what was, we face. This what, is what was he face. thinking coming to a group of sceptics? Well, I, I mean, he... Was he trying to convince you guys? I think for him, it was about the challenging the medical profession because he felt his doctor... You know, what he was challenging what his doctor knew and he felt he knew the answer because he'd done all this research. And so I think for, he probably thought we were going to be slightly more allies in, in challenging so, the so medical profession. He's, medical profession. he's, yeah. he's, he's small, small s, sceptic with a C. Yeah. 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 Which is probably a good time to link into. The climate change sceptics. <laughs> that was me doing the interview. Deniers. Deniers. Climate change deniers. Uh, I haven't actually read the article. Well, I did read the article really briefly, but you guys know a bit more about it. What's going on? Well, this is something that we covered a while back about how um, these climate change sceptics <laughs> were um, s- taking NIWA, which is the National Institute something of weather, War, weather and Something. We should Google that and find out what <laughs> NIWA actually means. Yeah, um, but anyway, taking NIWA to court about the um, temperature records and supposedly how NIWA had adjusted the temperature records, historical temperature records, to make it look like global warming was happening um, when, in fact, um, they were claiming that global warming wasn't happening. And so this is, as you said, quite a while ago. 
No, the the decision has only just been released. Yes, oh, right. So, so it is a it is a fresh story. Okay. Um, Niwa have won. Uh, oh. The, <gasps> Shock. The, <laughs> uh, National <laughs> Institute of Water and Atmospheric Research is a Crown Research Institute established oh, in 1992. So not weather. Right. So they were accusing <laughs> Niwa <laughs> scientists Water? of fraud yeah. of of adjusting the or rigging mm. the records, and they and they wanted um. A judicial review of the science, and they have been thrown out of court on the rear, basically. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, so, but the real concern is that the Herald has reported the story and has called the group the New Zealand Skeptics with a little S. with a little S and a little C. But even so, somebody casually reading the story would then assume that this Skeptics. is the New Zealand Skeptics' position on climate change. <coughs> in fact, didn't you say that's more or less what it said? The New Zealand sceptics don't mm. believe tumty tumty tum. Yeah. Deny Which, humans are the cause of climate change. That, yes. Hmm. Well, that's not acceptable. They need to print a retraction for <laughs> WIW <laughs> and an apology. The Herald are pretty bad at doing that. Yeah. Well, but even if they do, no one sees it. Yeah. So, so the actual quote is, the New Zealand sceptics and various groups and individuals in other countries deny humans are the cause of climate change. Wow, yeah. So oh, so they, they didn't deliberately say, "Oh, these guys are the New Zealand skeptics." No, what they're but, saying but is somebody casually the reading the article would who are in New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they're saying, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Although I wouldn't put it past the Herald. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. So it is unfortunate. <coughs> but it's great for Niwa. Yay, go Niwa! Yes, yeah, yes. Niwa. Quite right. They also then said afterwards, "Oh, but it was nothing about the science or something." I mean, they were they did a pre backtracked we weren't accusing them of this is the it, deniers yeah, yeah. Really. well fuck them <gasps> um <laughs> <laughs> sideways with a pineapple um okay well that was well, sort we'll, of get, we'll get on to the um <laughs> the sexual <laughs> stimulation article soon yeah yeah uh, so do you want to know any anything else about the conference oh the conference that's what oh, we're yeah, doing yeah, we're yeah, yeah. how do we get on to that? okay right. so um, we had Jean Fleming we had um the fantastic David Winter who was who had a brilliant set of slides um his talk was all about what every skeptic should know about evolution Oh, so nice. that if you are uh, countering yeah. somebody, you can actually some basic some answers, basic stuff. Good. And he just showed loads and loads of pictures of the um, descent of man. You know that beautiful picture of man. Uh, the, the classic. The classic evolving from the. Yeah. the oh apes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> just loads of different versions, like a Lego version and um, <laughs> all sorts of things. Hmm. One of the things that I got out of his talk, though, was that often we say, you know, we're not descended from monkeys. You know, we have a common ancestor. Common ancestor with but in his, in his thing, well, it was actually that common ancestor is going to look awfully like a monkey. Right. So that we should we should we be reclaiming our heritage and we shouldn't be ashamed that we would have looked like monkeys. Yes, so, except anyway. that monkeys today have had 20 million years of evolution from when we diverged. Yeah. The principle of the thing. Yeah. It's not a monkey. <laughs> a monkey yeah. is, is that. And well, in fact, not a, a monkey, monkey is not that either there's loads of different kinds of monkeys anyway he was great though he's a really really mm-hmm. good speaker hmm. yes, and we have good. interviewed him so we will yes that at we, some have, point. we have lots of interviews then we oh, had um yeah. professor richard walter who he was fascinating as well so he talked to us all he told us about the um alternative theories for how 
um, New Zealand came to be populated. Yeah, how New Zealand yes. came to be populated. Oh, okay. Um, so talk about proud, talk about the um, the Celts. Yeah, so he talked about the Celts and he talked about the Chinese. Um, so these are the two big, I guess, the two alternative theories for how is how the Chinese one a valid well, neither hypothesis? Oh, I was not okay. I was just wondering because I heard that one so before. And so what was really interesting about his talks was was the um, you know he was giving us the. Uh, the sort of evidence or, or, you know, what would need to be evidence, um, the what they were using as evidence, which isn't evidence. It was interesting that if you replace the word archaeology, alternative archaeology, with alternative medicine, it was the same thing. Mm-hmm. And what he was talking about was that their stuff is all over the internet. You know, they have websites, they're all really visible. But actually the the archaeology papers are all hidden behind a paywall yeah, and difficult yeah, to read right. and um, and it was just for me really rang the same stuff that we deal with in medicine mm-hmm. and a reason why science and scientists should be more out there and and being more accessible to mm. yeah to the general public. The thing I Which found fascinating about his talk was um, his talk about what what the Maori actually got up to when they arrived in New Zealand and how they were all um, sort of quite advanced mm. in terms of being able to get to every place in New Zealand and, and mine um, Ponamu and, and do all sorts of amazing things. Mm. They were really organised, yeah. they knew their terrain, they knew, yep. you know, they had really quickly established what, what was available and moved it around. Okay. And I think the, right. the thing about the alternative theories is that there is a really nasty undercurrent to them. You know, that these were all peace-loving people who were wiped out by the Maoris. Right. Um and it's just you know there's a there's a real ulterior motive to the groups who are pushing this kind of agenda, which is really anti the indigenous populations essentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's basically just a it's racist horrible, thing. horrible. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. and that's quite obvious from their websites and the agendas that they're pushing. Right. Fascinating. Right. Anyway, then we had our friend, Mr. Marshall Protocol. <coughs> um, then we had a fantastic workshop with Michael Edmonds who um, set us all a, a task to um, identify some... He gave us some website um, shots and then asked us to find ways that we would complain about them to the ASA, so the yes. Standards Authority. So, so that was good fun. Yeah, so Michael has done something like about, was it oh, 10, 10 or 13 or something? And he's complaints just had, to the Advertising Standards Authority about... Yeah, and he's just had a couple more successes um, of Alternative medicine kind of things, so, cool. yeah. Um. So that was on the on Saturday, and then on the Sunday we had Mark Otley talking about well-being, um, and then David Vert, who is a, a food food guru, he was telling mm. us all about um, kind of oh it was, it was fascinating oh, food cook, cookery and yeah. stuff history of um, yeah recipe Zealand. books in New Zealand mm. and yeah. interesting. <laughs> it was, yeah it was it was he was really. Uh, then we had Ewan Fordyce, who is um, what you pa- paleontologist. Paleontologist, I guess? yeah. So he discovered a lot of dinosaurs around Otago. Mm. He's he really is. into whales and dolphins and penguins. He, mm. Their team discovered the the giant penguin recently. Nice. So he talked to us all about that. And then we had the last speaker was Fab. He is Colin. Um, oh God. Gavahan? Gavahan. Oh, how do you describe him? Very, very strong Glaswegian accent. Fab. Mm. Mm. Um, he was lovely to listen to as someone who misses the Scottish accent. Um, he is a... Uh, he works in medical law and ethics. Mm. So he was talking around the ethics. You know, what what is the... If, if a patient comes um, to uh, asking for a quack treatment, 
essentially what is the law around this and the ethics around it um, relating to uh, New Zealand law and the patient charter. It was fascinating. What was really fascinating as well that was that um, IT gentleman was still with us um, and asked him lots of questions about you know what to do what a patient can do when a doctor you know is, refuses is refusing to. and colin at this stage hadn't he hadn't been at this man's talk so he didn't really understand the um background mm. to this which we talked it about amazed me that he actually hung around and was there for the whole conference yeah, and yeah, um, i should say for the whole thing mm. what about <coughs> that thing that we talked about on nothing about people wanting uh you know bits of their bodies cut off he didn't but we he should didn't. talk about that with him when we interview him mm. He's very clearly on the, on this our side in terms of <laughs> right. we shouldn't be okay. um, offering okay. these treatments. Yeah, and the dinner on Saturday night was interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, you will come on, tell us. Oh well, we had a <laughs> comedian. Oh, it was really sad. The, yeah. the the comedian fell through, and he got a friend to do it. And the friend is more mm-hmm. used to. Uh, drunk students so told lots of really quite rude inappropriate jokes about vaginas um, most so of i don't think there was a single one that was actually funny no but it then when he started material. talking about her a flatmate who was into homeopathy or something he was on really good territory but then he just sort of veered off and went back to vaginas again and it was all just mm. a bit uh. oh it's a bit sad but yeah. anyway there also was the awarding of the bent spoon and the bravo oh award. yes to whom bent spoon went to Consumer magazine? Yes, for supporting... Homeopathy? Homeopathy. Um, and the Bravo Award went to Margot White for her... For uh, your friend. For listener. Yeah. yeah. She was really nice. pleased with that. And in North and South. Yeah, in North and South, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Mm. And Craig, you're going to tell us about the Creation Museum. How'd your tour go? Oh, yes. So I... a personally <laughs> guided tour from the owner and... So I went to... Um, I got down to Dunedin early on Friday morning with the intention of perhaps going and visiting the Creation Museum of New Zealand or of Aotearoa which was um, supposedly 30 minutes north of, of Dunedin so um, just as well a few days before I left I actually sent an email to the guy telling him that um, that I was a sceptic and I would like to come and visit his museum and on the day before I left i got a reply from him which says hi craig sorry but the museum is not open at the moment Ah. my wife and i are obliged to be elsewhere for a while and we were unsuccessful at finding suitable caretakers so we're unable to keep the museum up and running and the exhibits are in mothballs and some of the space is being rented out i must make a note about this on the website (laughs) (laughs) however As a ministry to the church and the world in general, I am still promoting belief in God's word and the accurate history that the Bible provides, but doing it remotely via the internet. (laughs) I am a skeptic myself. Right. The term I use is truth activist. So I will check out your website. Thanks for your inquiry, Tony. (laughs) So no, I didn't get to go to the uh, Creation Museum of New Zealand. It was in mothballs. Yeah. (laughs) However, I did have a nice... um, Nice time looking around um, Dunedin and took some photos. And It's and a beautiful then, um, city, isn't it? Drove all the way yeah. back out to the airport to pick up Susie and some <laughs> others. Thank you. It's a long... If you ever go to Dunedin, if you ever fly to Dunedin and need to go into Dunedin City, hire a car. Don't get a taxi because it's lo- a long, 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 long way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like it's, 80 um, bucks in a taxi. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So it's um, actually cheaper to hire a car. <laughs> yes. Okay. So on the notice board... The only thing I've got there is Rebecca might be coming to New Zealand. 
Well, uh, is it yes. Watson? So this is Rebecca Watson. She'll yes. be coming back. Oh, was yes. it? Was it Re- Rebecca Watson? <laughs> Why did you have to say that? It's because everyone's what's everyone's calling her. No, they're not. No, they're not. Well, not everyone. Uh, no, not a subset. Subset. All right, moving on. We'll talk about that in a minute. Anyway, so yes, Rebecca Watson, who is um, a traveling, world traveling skeptic. Skeptic. Um, is well loved, fearless skeptic. Yes, mostly well loved, I think. Mostly. <laughs> anyway, she <laughs> well, is. By people who aren't dicks, frankly. Yeah. So she is turning up uh, at the Skeptics Conference in Melbourne at the end of November, beginning of December this year. And so um, she has proposed to come and spend some time here in New Zealand, and um, as she did a couple of years ago. Um, so the proposal is that she would come and do the major cities such as Christchurch, Wellington and Auckland and come and talk at Skeptics in the Pub. Awesome. So we need to uh, get this organised. So we need to figure out how, what level of interest there is in actually having her come and speak to us. I'm sure that um, most people would be interested in hearing her speak. But last time we had, what, 30, 40 people? Uh, yeah, I think we had 50 people. Is that at the dinner? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so in Auckland yeah, it was we had good. speak at a uh, pre-Christmas dinner and we had about 50 people come along and pay money, so yeah, hopefully we can repeat that this year. I'll be there. Good. Me too. Yeah. Almost definitely, depending on the time and day. <laughs> well, there's four. Yeah. So okay. there you go, there's four. That's enough for a um, justifier. <laughs> yeah, okay. And she can come and do an interview again. Or should we talk about schisms and... I just want to okay. put it out there. Schisms or I isms? want to know what the fuck is going on with the scepticism and atheism movements at the moment. There's divisions and this whole subset of people all of a sudden who are just being dicks. I mean, when Rebecca came over last time to talk to us, she told us about the sort of comments she was getting on things like YouTube and you know, just general hate email that she was getting. I can't for the life of me remember whether she said it was coming primarily from non-sceptics and non-atheists or not at the time, but now there seems to be this whole thing since Elevator Gate, basically. I don't know, you guys explain it to me, because I don't understand. Why? Why are people being dicks? I don't know. What is wrong with you? I can't Write us agenda. an email and tell us what the fuck is wrong with you, people. Everyone that is going off on this ridiculous tangent about whatever it is that their problem is. I'm not making any sense because it's, it's, it's completely confusing to me. The people hate Rebecca Watson because she's suggested that it might be inappropriate to corner a woman in an elevator at five o'clock in the morning and proposition her. And all of a sudden... There's this whole... You don't know what I'm talking about. Everyone's just looking blankly yeah, at no, me like I'm... No, talking. no, we're just listening to you. Well, don't listen to me. Contribute <laughs> to the goddamn conversation because I want some insight and in, in what everyone else thinks so about what's going on. So Rebecca said it's inappropriate for a woman in an elevator to well, be propositioned this is the, this at 5 This is the story well, that happened well, well, to her. Yeah, that's, that's one of the things that started it all, but I this, think it's gone way beyond oh, absolutely. that now. Now, one yes, of, yes. One of, the, one of the driving forces behind this movement 
is um, to try and broaden the sceptical community from the typical middle-aged... Mostly men in IT. White. (laughs) Old old dudes with beards, basically. Um, And And glasses. And so so to have a more inclusive community would mean to have more women and minorities and so on. And so one of the one of the perhaps explanations as to why we don't get many people attending com- many minorities and women attending conferences is that the skeptic community is not accepting of those people and that there is a an underlying sort of sexist attitude in, in skeptical circles um, I've never found that have you Susan? I don't think we get it in New Zealand no, as much, I although we're, we're not all predominantly male, oh, I think, course. in all the meetings I've been to. Would that be fair? That would be fair, yeah. yeah. But, but I've get... never felt, oh, you shouldn't be here because you're a female. No, no but it's it's not that. Um, it's the minority, probably, of men who have no social graces and so behave inappropriately towards women and we have a few of those true we definitely have a few of those um and i think one of the arguments is are some men using the the perception the perception yeah. of people that that you know these guys don't have social skills to actually behave inappropriately even though they know it's inappropriate uh-huh. um is one thing i think that what I mean, I haven't been following this at all because it just doesn't interest me. Mm, yeah, at I haven't all. either. But one of the things that I thought might have triggered the latest sort of hatred thing was trying to make was it Tam or something a little bit more inclusive. Yeah. So and essentially, the organizer basically said he couldn't see what the problem was. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, Rebecca Watson um, boycotted the last um, amazing meeting uh, on on that basis because. The head of the James Randi Foundation, DJ Grothy, essentially came out and said that harassment wasn't a problem at at TAM and that there had never been any incidents of um, harassment. It turned out that he was essentially sort of wrong wrong (laughs) and sort of putting his head in the sand. And um, so then that kind of blew up into a... There needs there should be a harassment policy at conferences, and people shouldn't be allowed to go and do inappropriate things, which which is fair enough. And then I think it went a little bit over the top, and that people came out with sort of harassment policies that seemed to be sort of extremely restrictive as to to what you could possibly do, and trying yeah. to cover all possible bases. And then it, then it blew up because um, and then there's people like um, Thunderfoot. Thunderfoot. Thunderfoot said, oh, this is to, too too extreme now. Yeah, and now everyone hates Thunderfoot as well. And I, I just don't know why everyone. Well, I think yeah. Thunderfoot definitely came across as a dick. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> Unfortunately, yeah. Well, he I only saw good science one videos, of his videos on that topic, and it seemed fairly reasonable to me. But in that particular instance, I haven't seen everything he said. But I mean, he's been kicked. Is it three three thought blogs? Three thought blogs. Yeah. He's been kicked off that. Yeah. Because I think he might have gone a bit too far the other way as well. He's been so. Is it really skeptics against a, um, um, rationalists, or is it men against? No, well, skeptics against, against skeptics. Yeah. So there's and a thing called an MRA, who is a men's right activist, mm-hmm. who are the dicks of the skeptic and atheist communities. Well, everywhere, I guess. Yeah. Mm. So. I mean, Not necessarily, though. I mean, I'm sure some of them are perfectly nice people, but what they're saying, it seems to me, is. Um, well, they're anti-feminist. Anti, they're, they're anti-feminists, and they don't like the idea that 
I mean, there is a there is a bad so sort of feminist or anti-females. Anti-feminism. There's a bad sort of female. So who's the where the female sort of say, well, men need to be suppressed and we should be at the top and on top of everything. But there's not many of them out there. I'm sure that's a straw man. It might be. This is it. I don't know because that's the that's what they're anti. The actual feminism is just equal rights for everybody, surely. Hmm. And finding out the places where women don't currently have the rights and privileges and, I don't know, whatever it is that women, whatever, whatever it is that they're looking for, they don't currently have. Things like uh, equal representation and so forth. At, at Thank you, Nathan, for bringing this up. We've been suffering this for years and years. I know, and years. right? I mean, here's me and Craig with our male male privileges suppressing you guys. I know, and so on and so forth. <laughs> so, I mean, this is this a bigger thing in America? We don't get this sort of thing in New Zealand much, do we? I mean, I'm not a woman. See, this is the thing. I don't understand. We've had it all our lives. We're used to it. One of the don't big, like it, but it happens. Yeah. One of the eye-opening moment for me was when I read an article on a blog, I think I might have mentioned it before, about what it's like to be a woman sort of at night alone on the street and the sort of concept that you have to treat every man on the road as though they might be a potential rapist. Of course. That's what um, we were all Which just blew my mind I know, because I've been told never that considered that We have to be before. safe. Yeah, I know, but we, we have and yeah. we've had to consider that and, and be aware. I've, I've never been scared. No. But we've always have to be aware. Yeah. So that's weird, and men, men don't understand that. But it's also wrong, because actually mm. most people who are attacked are attacked by people they know. This is a problem. So it's, yes. it's stranger danger, which is not, it's not something, you know, it's a, it's a mis... Um, what's, my, what's the word I'm looking for? It's misdirection. misdirection. Oh, because yeah. actually most women who are attacked are attacked by their partners. Yeah. Except those that aren't. The majority yeah. of violence is people done by somebody you know. That, no. But when I was child abuse, the majority yeah. of child abuse is done by people they yeah. know. But when I was living in New so, York, I was told that don't leaving the clubs, don't walk home at night. I used to walk the streets of New York City at four a.m. in the morning, and looked walked with a purpose, strode with a purpose, and I mm. never she got still attacked. With a purpose. <laughs> yeah, but I never got attacked. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So yeah, have but, we talked about that? I just I think so. we didn't really come to any conclusions, did we? Well, I don't think it's some people, some people are being dicks, and they shouldn't be, and, and what, it's tearing the movement apart. But what's mm. really interesting is that this is this is human nature, mm, and yeah. just because we're skeptics doesn't make us any You're different. different. But it we should, s- shouldn't it? The whole point of skepticism is we're supposed to be rational. Yeah, yeah but we're people are not rational. Yeah, but we're still humans, and we've got the how we were brought up too. And, yeah, and, and and then there's the other aspect of this. In that the, they're trying to expand the movement, so they're coming up with this atheism plus yeah. movement, which essentially is defining atheism as no longer about just not believing in God, but about bringing in some of the social aspects that need to be addressed because of the bad things that religion does, like misogyny and. Um, what they're saying, as, as I understand it, is we're atheists and skeptics. We're atheists and for equal rights for women we're yeah. atheists and tum 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 so I don't know what is I mean is that a, that's a good thing right yeah well I think it is um, but, but just because you're a sceptic or an atheist doesn't mean that you're perfect in every other no and, and no. it doesn't necessarily define perfect, your politics the, either no no, no. well anyway that was unhelpful that was wasn't it no it was, well, it was, it was a good discussion okay good so we've still got time for some uh, news articles of course we have okay <laughs> 
I, I, I just feel, can I talk about the monkey thing? I've got that up on the screen, and it just yep. make, that first line makes me want to vomit. Scientists have successfully restored, and in some cases, enhanced decision-making ability in brain-damaged monkeys on cocaine. Well, what are they doing on cocaine? Well, it probably makes them feel better about their brain. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, that... that okay, fair by enough. Connecting a but prosthetic device to their this brains. Article, which I thought was quite interesting... And off and create some interesting ethical um, and uh, big brother sort of sort of questions to be debated is the fact that they've attached a, a device to the brains of the monkeys and has enhanced their decision making ability. So where they're given of the apes, here we come. Yeah, well, well, not just that, but the sort of thing is when when it gets because um, so, it's something we would use in people. To make people smarter and better decision makers, mm. could this technology solve our problem? So everyone who's cocaine, everyone cocaine. I don't think cocaine makes people friendlier. To no. be honest, I think that's one of those ones that says the other. It might for the first time, but after <laughs> that, no. Um, but all the people that are being dicks get an implant <laughs> that makes them not dicks. You see, you yeah. see what I'm talking about. A non-dick implant. Yeah, okay. basically. <laughs> but then, of course, there's all the um, implications of something like that. Is it have potential for abuse, and it's sort of taking away your free will. And I want to say well, two things about this article. So, okay. when something like this comes up on the news story, I like to go and read the article. So you, I have to point out here that you have two things that we don't have: is access to articles and the ability to understand the articles. Right. So that's why you're that's on the right. podcast. <laughs> Basically, so what that. I'm going to so this and this is exactly what I want to talk about because on the one hand, this article is open access, so ah, if good. you'd like to read it, you can. All right. On the other hand, I dare you to read it because I can't even understand the title, and this ah. really irritates me, and is why we have to change the way yeah. that we write our papers. Yeah. It's from the Neuro Journal of Neural Engineering, and the title is... This is the new segment Susie rants about but the <laughs> papers. <laughs> the Facilitation and Restoration of Cognitive Function in Primate Prefrontal Cortex by a Neuroprosthesis that Utilizes Mini-Column-Specific Neural Firing. I was okay, fine, I with, that fine with that until the, the Mini-Column-Specific The last line utilizes micro-columns. But there would be a simpler way of saying that, and yeah. the abstract is just... So you're saying the word, the way, the way the paper is written, it could be written in a way that everyone could understand. Every science it. paper is written badly. Yeah. And I wish we could get over ourselves and stop writing so full of bollocks. Yeah. It's like Why? Lois I'm speak, a scientist. Isn't it? I want to be able to read this. I want to be able to read this really fast and get yeah. it in my head. Yeah. I don't want to have it. to go and look at the dictionary and really have to reread each sentence three or four times to get the meaning of the sentence. It's a bit of a, we need um, to change this, guys. It's a bit of an Please. old boys club sort of situation where they're writing the paper for the other scientists who but they know. But it's not know, even well, for the no, not, but they're not writing yeah, it for, for you. They're no. writing it for the other neuroscientists yeah. who will probably understand what all that means. Absolutely. But as we become more um, interdisciplinary, which is the yeah. big buzzword at the moment, you know, we, we need to read each other's papers. This is how you move science on. It's how you get ideas for stuff by reading outside of your field. And we have to change this because, the, I mean, at least to so, do a title that we understand and an abstract that's accessible to everybody because this is just nonsense. Well they obviously so don't want to be easily accessible. No. Well it's, it's kind of funny 
funny because it's not like well, we're trained to write like this. But no, we all no, do. I think they are trained to write like that. Well, we aren't. We we aren't. It's no something that you kind of pick this up. This is how you write a paper. Well, yeah, because you read a paper and you uh, you know you read the papers and this is how you write and then you learn to write this way and then you so realize. So when you the emailed end. them to complain, what did they say? <laughs> I'm just trying to change the way I write my papers, yeah, and I wish yeah. that we would all. I, I guess from I, I've read most of the abstract and there are bits and pieces of it that I understand but obviously there are a lot of jargon words in there that are specific to the particular branch of um, neuroscience neuroscience that they are they are addressing Um, so yeah anyway great Mm. great job publishing at open access really Mm. poor job at publishing it open access and then not anybody being able to understand it it's like what's the point of publishing it open access if we can't read it or we can read it but can't understand it it. so good science hopefully but bad presentation Mm. well i've got some pictures in the paper well anyway there you go i thought that was Mm. interesting but these things you you take hours and hours to try and digest this paper yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And I mean, even if you did know what you were but talking anyway, about, but anyway, how about we move on to another one, okay. which is also in an open access journal and is a little bit better written. Yes, it's in my favourite journal, Plus One, and the uh, title is "Feelings of Disgust and Disgust-Induced Avoidance Weaken." following induced sexual arousal in women. Again, there would Read be that again because it took to me twice that. before I understood what you were talking about there the first time. Feelings of disgust and disgust-induced avoidance weaken following induced sexual arousal in women. Right. So that leads, Making leads to the women obvious, horny yeah, means they're less, their more likely to have sex with you. No. Oh, it they're means less they're less likely to be disgusted by, by the you, thought of having, having sex, sex with, with you. you. Okay. So the, the, very, the, the obvious question that pops into my mind is, how do I induce this arousal? Okay, well, the way Nathan, they did it... I think we shouldn't be having this on the podcast. The way they did it was to get <laughs> some healthy women who were students at the university to watch some film clips. Ah. One of which I tried to find. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to see if you could get aroused by it. No, just, just, just for um, research purposes. Research purposes, yeah. But I think it's Dutch. Um, ah. In which case, it's probably good stuff, actually. <laughs> Female-friendly erotica. And they give us the name of who it's by. Yes. Um, but all I could find at the moment was links to all of the art, all of the uh-huh. newspaper articles that are about this paper. Okay. You'll have um, to turn your internet um, parent, parental protection features <laughs> off. Okay, so here's how... Um, what paper... What This is one of the websites. Sexually aroused women find everything less disgusting. Nice. Oh, why can't we say that? Yeah. But their um, their abstract was not as bad as the neuroscience one. Yes. Yeah. Basically, they got women in three different groups to either watch. Women were randomly allocated to one of three groups: one that was sexually aroused, one that was non-sexually aroused, and a neutral control group. Um, and then they were asked to participate in different behavioural tasks, some of which were sex-related, some of which were not. Um, some of which were disgusting, or some of which were not. So, like taking a sip disgusting. of juice with a large insect in the cup, things or like eat that. a biscuit with a living worm on it. Yeah, nice. And they well, found. Well, willing to do that, I'm in no chance. They find the principal finding was that the ones who were uh, sexually aroused basically weren't as disgusted by the disgusting stuff as those who weren't sexually aroused. Nice. Ta-da! That's probably a very good evolutionary um, reason for that. Indeed. 
So so maybe it's something in the brain that's kind of leaking over from one centre in the brain to another centre in the brain when... when mm. I, I, I wonder if they uh, were thinking about doing the same thing on men. Let's have a look at the discussion. What do they say? I mean, they're, they're thinking also of ways to treat women who have uh, sort of problems with... Phobias or Yeah, whatnot, sexual yeah. arousal or... Yeah. Mm. Or have irrational fears. All they need to do is become... A, Aroused. Here we go. What's well, the further serious, study? Serious seek, solution, uh, yeah. Oh, they just say it would be interesting to investigate the influence of sexual arousal on disgust in different groups. I mean. Um, no, they talk about women. Mean? Women still with sexual women. dysfunction. Okay. Um, well, men, no, I won't say it. <laughs> I won't say it. Anyway, they're obviously not interested in the men. Um, Let me guess, the, the researchers <laughs> are male. <laughs> Let's have a look. Well, I think one. This reminds me of the opening Charmaine. scenes of Ghostbusters. And, uh, one of them is a man. Okay. Yeah, the other one of each, Charmaine and Peter. Yeah. Charmaine is a lady. Okay. Yeah. Well, Charmaine. It was an English name, I'd say. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, interesting. Okay. And means you know we get to talk about sex, which we always like. Yeah. Love talking about sex. <sighs> so, do we want to know about anybody aroused? <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm always aroused. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting on the same table as you. And Nathan is sitting next to Craig. Let's let's talk about lab. The scene is we're down in the gutter. Let's go further. All right, lab lab grown genitals. (laughs) And spray on skin. This is good, important science. Well, the spray on skin is presumably for burns and stuff. But what about lab grown genitals? A few years ago, Dr. Anthony Atala's lab at Wake Forest University got good at making ears. They were growing new ears on a scaffold using patient cells because so many soldiers were losing their ears in explosions. Now, the Department of Defence has a project that's closer to Atala's heart, making new genitals for soldiers who have stepped on bombs. Can I just say, the um, the, the article that you've um, linked us to... A picture of a kidney. <laughs> it looks I know. like a penis. I thought it, it was. was. I thought, until Very I read tiny the piece of kidney. Not a small one. Yeah. I thought it looked like wet. <laughs> well, yeah. I thought it was a big piece of steak, actually. But. <laughs> Well, it, it's, it's reporting on the it's reporting on the sort of the general advance in this particular technique of yeah. of building b- spare body parts, um, which is in genius. The lab. Really, yes, which and is a lot cool. of a lot of soldiers are coming back with none. Mm. Yeah, they're being blown up. So they've grown. Although, I think really the solution to this is to actually off. stop having bombs go off rather yeah. than well, um, building replacement parts, but. Possibly minimize. He's made penises that rabbits were able to put to proper use, fathering yeah. litters of new little bunnies. Apparently, mm-hmm. that's oh, yeah, the most important to read. Hmm. So, so it's been done. done. That's why it's news. And the other thing that they're doing, which is a little bit less interesting from our point of view, is the spray-on skin, hmm. um, which is great. So it uses a patient's own skin cells, so that rejection is not an issue. Don't you like the name of the company? A firm. <laughs> See what you did there. Whatever <laughs> happened to um, John and Irena Bobbitt? <laughs> yeah. That's the Armed Forces Craig's Institute. On Wikipedia of, well, he, he became a porn medicine. star for a while, didn't he? I thought so. He got sewn back on, didn't he? No, he had it sewn back on. Yeah. Did it right. still work? It must have done at least well, some was a porn star. Irena Bobbitt entered the bedroom where John was sleeping and proceeded to cut off nearly half of his penis. Oh, so he still had half left. Oh, there you go. Sexy enough for some people. Yeah, 
After assaulting her sub- husband, Lorraine left the apartment with a severed penis, drove a short while, then rolled threw down the, the car window and threw, threw the penis the into the field. <laughs> They did find it, didn't they? And they sewed it back on. Yeah, realising the severity of the incident, she stopped and called 911. After an exhaustive search, the penis was located, packed in ice, taken to the hospital where John Bobbitt was being treated. The penis was reattached by doctors James T. Sen and David Berman during a nine and a half hour operation. Nice. And then they both became famous. (laughs) Yeah. Well, this isn't new, new news, but it's um, still interesting. Dark matter filaments detected for the first time. Now, we all know what dark matter is, so I don't have to go into that. Nobody knows (laughs) what dark matter is. (laughs) All right, you know what I mean. So, and you stop me if I'm wrong, because I'm doing this all off the top of my head. But basically, the visible matter in the universe does not account for all of the matter that should be in the universe according to... Gravity and whatnot that the scientists have sat down and figured out. Baryonic matter is what we're talking about. Thank you, baryonic matter. Um, well, dark matter is still baryonic matter, isn't it? No. Baryonic matter just being everything. No. Oh, we'll have to look that up and come back to it later. Um, so what the, what the scientists have proposed is that there's something they call dark matter that we can't see but is out there in the universe, either spread out or... Oh, you or might be right. Clumps of some sort. Um, <laughs> Nathan's right. I'm always right. I thought we guys would learn that by now. <laughs> um, oh, here it is. So dark matter is a type of matter that interacts only very weakly with light. The result, this is considered a crucial step by scientists, is that some of the physics department at the University of Michigan, together with his co-workers, examined gravitational lensing in the Abel 222 and 223 galaxy clusters. These clusters each have about 150 galaxies, uh, are about 2.4 gigalight years distant from Earth, and are separated by about 0.4 of a gigalight year. Blah. These two clusters appear to be connected by a bridge of hot gas, as shown below. They suggested that the hot, hot gas might be concentrated on a filament of dark matter, as it is found in simulations of cosmological structures, but a strong case for that interpretation could not then be made. So what they have done is some incomprehensible sciencey stuff. <laughs> well, they've they've run a simulation on the computers. This is what interested me. They've run yeah. a simulation on the computers that um, included ten billion particles and consumed three hundred forty-three thousand CPU hours. Jesus Christ! <laughs> That's amazing. That's a serious yeah. um, supercomputer. So. They say, we found the dark matter filaments. For the first time, we can see them. It looks like there's a bridge that shows there is additional mass beyond what the clusters contain. Clusters alone cannot explain this additional mass. At least 90% of the filament's mass is dark matter. I don't think we know enough dark matter to talk about this. Not really, no. But if you're interested in dark matter, then click on the link and um, go and have a look. And then maybe you guys can explain it to us. And then we'll all know. Well if we understand it it's all very confusing and uh, and interesting which hmm. is the way I like my news I just want to talk about this because I think this is really really interesting a new wood pulp wood pulp concoction that's stronger than Kevlar and carbon fibre well, so, Kevlar can take bullets can't yeah they? and carbon fibre is pretty much the strongest thing we have at the moment uh, experimental stuff that people are working on but um so what they've got is they've got cellulose nanocrystals, um, which is from wood byproducts like wood chips and sawdust. 
The end result is stronger than Kevlar or carbon fibre with similar low weight advantages. Apparently it's also transparent, which makes it an alternative to ballistic glass. Here's the best bit. Well, I don't know if it's the best bit. (laughs) One of the best bits. One of the best bits. The real selling point is the low cost. It's less than 10% of carbon fibre or Kevlar. The current goal is for $10 per kilogram. But they reckon large-scale production should reduce that to one or two dollars per kilo. That'd be good. Yes, um, as bulletproof glass, as whatever it is that we're doing with. Does it say the weight of it? It does. Well, it says with a similar low, uh, similar low weight advantages. So presumably about the same weight as these other things. (laughs) But it's like the gremlins. If you get it it wet, wet. yeah, Yeah. yes, (laughs) it'll fall off. (laughs) There are defects in it. Yeah. Because the cellulose yeah. swells. Yeah. But that's, so it's like getting MDF wet. Yeah, pretty much. So if you get shot with a water pistol, um, <laughs> you're in trouble. Yeah, it'll stop real bullets. Yeah, but not, but not water pistols. But as they say there, they're looking for paint or hydrophobic treatment that can keep out water. So all you have to do is keep it dry and, no uh, good and away Auckland. you go. Uh, here's the thing, the first thing, I, <laughs> the first thing that I saw there is that one of its advantages is that it's transparent. In order to stop it from falling to bits, you've got to paint it. <laughs> but other than that, very You can varnish it. They said hydrophobic treatment, so they'd be able to something, stick something clear on it. They still see through. But yeah, I just thought it was quite interesting. So it's made of wood, and it's um, stronger than Kevlar and carbon fibre. Cool. When can we buy some? Uh, yeah, I'll let you know. Yeah. Wait till it's down to two dollars. On my a kilo. website when I when I finally. Okay, so moving on to something that's a bit more um, what we're supposed to be talking about. Natural health practitioner failed cancer patient. Do they just look at your eyes but not like a person who actually knows anything about your eyes? They look at the colour of your eyes? Pretty much. Well, yeah. Specks and and, and flaws in your eyes and iris indicate like a broken leg. Yeah, the closeness of the fibres in the eyes and things like that. I've done it. I've studied it. Yeah, yeah. Chrissy knows all about it. Come well, on, all about Chrissy, it, but, tell us all about it. Well, yeah, but, you know, it just make it, the first sentence again worries me. A National Health Protection who treated a woman with a lesion on her head for 18 months, even though recognising the lesion in inverted commas looked cancerous. And she treated her with looking in her eyes for 18 months. It worries me. Well, it's, well I think I mean, it worries everybody. Yeah, but, you point, know, really. I mean... So she, so this is the... Um, she's been brought before the... Health and Disability Commissioner? Yes. Um, and has been roundly slapped and is potentially going to be um, facing a human rights review tribunal. Yeah, because it oh, she's she's jail. Jail. She should be in jail. For yeah. attempted manslaughter. I mean, did the person die? or? Yes, she yes. died a year later. So there you go, yeah. manslaughter. Yeah, she, the patient was told not to go to the doctor. The doctor would, you know, all the treatments that they gave her would make her worse and would interfere with her iridology and so to the extent that her tumour kind of cracked her skull or something? It was a pressing oh, it was on the brain. It got to her bone instead of eating the bone. Yeah. I, I Later heard. grew larger, was frequently infected, bled frequently and smelled unpleasant. Yeah, but did you see later in the article it says that you know they spent many hours together at, at her house and, and, and the two went, went on, on holiday, holiday yeah. together. Yeah. I mean, I wonder who paid for that. Treatment of the lesion included picking out dead skin, cleaning the lesion, and the use of topical and oral remedies. Medical treatment appropriate uh, two or three hundred years ago, perhaps. But why is she not being prosecuted? Is it because there's nobody left to prosecute her? Because the woman's dead. 
But why can she not be... What about her family? Well, possibly they have to go through the HDC thing first right. to find out whether she's acted, and then maybe they can prosecute her. She's been referred That'd to be the Human nice. Rights Review Tribunal. Oh, here it is. The legion was 10 by 11 centimetres, and some underlying bones were damaged. That was when she went to hospital, yeah. When she went to... Yeah, she finally went to hospital. Now, I guess the... Um, the obvious thing here is that this woman's obviously completely mentally... Well, I can't make any diagnosis, but In, no, okay, she seems to Can be... Can I just stop yeah, you there? Yeah, yeah. What we've learned from Colin's talk is you have to say, in your opinion. In my opinion. I think. Well, that's what I was getting at. So say that first. In my opinion. It seems to me that this person... Okay, well, the, the argument that I was trying to make is, <laughs> from the point of view of the, medic, of the quack practitioners, they're not going to say, this woman represents us. She's probably a statistical outlier. Anomaly. Anomaly. So what we do is, I guess, we sort of tend to pick up on these articles and pick on them a little bit. Um, whereas I, this You're is... You're bloody right. The woman died. I mean, yeah. what's the harm? <laughs> yeah. There's the harm. But I find, and I've, you know, I've dealt with it too, I've seen a lot of people and they go to doctors, they don't seem to get... In their opinion, or my opinion, their opinion, they don't seem to be getting any better. So they will consult a natural health practitioner mm. as a last resort. And sometimes they're just hoping and praying. Mm. That's really a lot of it. Isn't it? Why mm. would you keep on doing it if it wasn't getting better? Why would you keep on going back? <sighs> well, this is good money after bad. It, it's sad, isn't we, it? We, we talk about this just about every time. It's... You go to a homeopath or an iridologist uh, because you've got a cold or because your back hurts and they make it better. And so you go back again and they make something else better and you go back again they make something else better. And then when something serious happens, they're convinced that the person they're dealing with has the ability to heal them um, because they're using real But also you hear a lot of allopathic um, medicine that people are... I take you know don't take the first doctor go to the second get a third opinion get a fourth opinion they even say that then she didn't even with that she was living in hope I think hoping that it would heal maybe she was it was her last resort I don't know well we don't that's the thing and it's a sad story and it's a particularly bad example of what happens when the sort of thing goes really wrong mm Right. What the health practitioners? And, um, the, uh, and the, the other New Zealand story, there was an article in the Herald oh, today. Yes. The Herald, again. <coughs> Apparently yes. the Fovo Hotel in Bluff is for sale and um, claims to have a female ghost. So owner Nikki Little believed the ghost was of Mary Cameron, the original owner of the Temperance Hotel, which was constructed on the Gore Street site in 1899. The Temperance Hotel was demolished to make way for the construction of the Art Deco-style Fovo Hotel in the 1930s. But Mary's spirit apparently lived on in the premises. She said the ghost tended to favour tall male guests staying in room two. So what you're saying is sure thing. (laughs) (laughs) Every time we have tall men staying in room two, they report the bedroom door opening by itself. Sometimes they complain to us that the door is broken or won't close, but when we go up to it, it just closes. But it's not a scary ghost, she said. (laughs) Right. Right. Sure. Are they needing some business or something? 
they're selling it. Oh, they're selling it. Oh, they're selling it. So, Sorry, yeah. I missed that yeah. bit. I was asleep. And obviously, oh, this is okay. a feature of the hotel, which is going to um, make people want to come and stay. It'd be interesting to do an experiment to go along as a tall male and um, and uh, look stay, into rooms stay in random rooms. Yes, got to stay in rooms. And then maybe actually have a look at the um, the door and it's see whether there might be something wrong it's with the door that might cause it to not close properly. Yes. So we've just got about enough time for Susie to rant about the Ponsonby News. Oh, there really isn't is very little for me to rant about um, this month. Um, That's no excuse. Find something. I will, I will. Um, John Appleton's just talking about gluten and how um, you should just avoid gluten. I mean, there are, there are easier things. Actually, there's a very hard thing to avoid, but he says everybody should try uh, gluten-free lifestyle. And he's talking about gluten guru Dr. Rodney Ford, who I have no idea about, but anyway... Um, Dr. Edget is doing, he's talking about liver detoxes and I almost got a little bit worried and thought, oh my God, is he going to be telling people to take the, um, the one that makes, no, not the bleach, oh, I was thinking stuff, of the other yeah. one, the one where you liver take it oil, and it, the, the oil and apple juice and it just turns to smalls oh, of soap, fat, soap, soap, right. in, soap yep. in your in your stomach is that the one you um, lie on your left side and then you're but of right. course he's not because <laughs> he couldn't sell <laughs> or, oh, I guess no. they do have their own Ayurvedic oil, but I don't think it's for consumption. But they do have um, Live Good, which is a blend of Ayurvedic herbs um, that all support liver function. And, and allow you to live well. Yep. And uh-huh. you should eat with a calm mind. Of course. Um, you totally should um, avoid hot showers. Right. And... Because the last thing you want to do is yeah. clean. And you should... Massage yourself with their pitta oil, which is a medicated sesame oil infused with herbs to help the body release trapped heat. Immediately before you take a cold shower. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there you go. There you go. Don't forget, this is a guy that wanted me to eat beetroot and carrot for breakfast. Um, But more interestingly is in their letters page, um, it's a lady who is very concerned... About the quackery that they promote? No, about Wi-Fi. Oh, God, She's really worried about Wi-Fi. Do they tell her to STFU and get a clue? She strongly advises the Ponsonby community to have caution about choosing Wi-Fi as an internet option because of the danger of electromagnetic fields, which cause cancer, uh, insomnia, and many other health problems. For, infi- for information and evidence, please do a Google search. <laughs> of course. And go to this website and Google YouTube and the dangers of Wi-Fi. Sure. Um, it's because, apparently, broadband internet cables are being installed in Ponsonby to, to, to have a, a kind of community-wide wi- free Wi-Fi. Is this fiber? Or is this... It's just free Wi-Fi. You know, so this you, is Wi-Fi that requires cables? Well, they're putting in a, putting in an infrastructure so they can install the Wi-Fi, I guess. Mm. But she says we should uh, like we should not choose like Wi-Fi and voice your concerns with your local MP and the Ministry of Health. Yeah, the oh. public so has a right no to be concerns. informed on issues affecting our health. So, so this well, is this is supposedly case, electromagnetic sensitivity, which has been completely disproven. In that they've done experiments where people who have claimed to have electromagnetic sensitivity cannot tell whether the device is switched on or switched off. Indeed, but more than that, she's also claiming it causes cancer and, and bullshit like that. No, oh, we're out of time. Sorry, Chrissy. Thanks. <laughs>
Goodbye. The, the, the men have, have spoken. There's nothing much else to say, is there? Of course not. All right. Chrissy, what have you got for Well, me? just a couple of things. I don't know if you heard. This is in the Women's Day magazine today. Um, has it got to, pictures of Kate Topless? Oh, yeah. I was going to look those up. No. No, they didn't put it in. Oh. Just talking about um, Botox for your bladder. Yes. That they've had an increase of... Um, People have been going wait, wait, quite Botox. often. Hang on, what Botox for your bladder? What did that help? Botox for your bladder. Woman, cough. Oh, Sometimes I see. We right, 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 right. They did a study on 240 women suffering from a weak bladder. And the incontinence dropped from six times a day to less than once. With By Botox. injecting Botox, Botox in your bladder. Well, you can see how that happens, yeah. how that works, yeah. if you know what Botox does. Mm. And then another one, the green bag alert. Green bag alert. E. coli has been found in your green bag supermarket. Right. Ones that you keep taking back. If you please oh, wash them. Oh, I see. You're recycling. Yeah. Well, yeah. Say, so your cloth bags. Well, you right. say that, though. Yeah. But, but, um, try and find somewhere where you can't find E. coli. Yeah, exactly. I know. Yeah. It's, it's it, even in the in supermarket in trolleys yes, that you put yeah, your food yeah. in. Is it go? in quantities <laughs> that would actually That's cause the question. Yeah. Well, they only tested 84 reusable bags. Yeah, what you're saying University though is they found E. coli, but how much have they, they found? Don't say. Is it dangerous? They just yeah. say reduce the risk by washing your bags regularly and keeping a separate bag for your meat. That's yeah, probably not bad advice necessarily. necessarily but well, I think it's good advice. Yeah, well, I guess if you, had, um, if you had, say, some chicken in one of those bags and some of the Wouldn't juices leaked out. Though, but, be, um, well, salmonella. salmonella yeah, yeah. But if you had some, yeah. So how long could salmonella survive outside... Or just oh. in, a, in an environment oh, well. like that. Yeah, yeah. well. Uh, e. coli found on 50% of shopping carts. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty bad on shopping carts. Mm. That's why I always... And yet, this is an old everyone's story, fine. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, there was um, well, David maybe Mitchell, this, Maybe we're not, and we think we are. <laughs> it would be so much better if we had those little sanitary wipes on our shopping carts. This is the point it's that I think right. David Mitchell uh, on QI, which I saw again recently... Um, and he was talking about an ad on TV. And the ad said, your kitchen bench is dirtier than your toilet seat, blah, 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 blah. And he says, well, clearly that's all right then. Yeah. <laughs> because, because we're all fine. So basically what their ad is saying is you don't need this product <laughs> to clean your bench because we're all alive. Yeah. Because yeah. that's how it is. But think yeah. how much better it could be if you didn't have these microbes on your bench. Indeed. It's true. Well, it was like someone that um, posted on Facebook the other day. Um, oh, the highest rate of pesticide levels found on on this particular on these vegetables, non-organic vegetables, and therefore you should eat organic vegetables. Oh, yeah. Did I you see that article on TV the other night about that? They were saying that there really there's not a lot of nutritional benefits. Well, the worst is what I heard. The yeah. last study I saw was yeah, that was um, on TV organically grown season? vegetables were less nutritious. Yeah. They even had that anyway, clear the point, Turnbull, you know, the nutritionist right. for good, healthy food or something. Mm. Well, I saw something about uh, DDT in lamb. Oh, oh yes, I saw that too, and, yeah. And apparent, but apparently the levels have gone down 11th of what they used to be in 20 years ago. Nice. So. <laughs> I've just found a fantastic quote about the shopping bags thing. The guy says... Um, Shopping bags that aren't regularly washed turn into bacterial swamps. It's like wearing the same underwear every day. <laughs> um, I have a question. <laughs> oh, no. You should change What's your underwear every day, Nathan. 
Don't wear your bag. The point I was trying to say there is that it's not quite the same thing, is it? It's not, it's not washing your underwear every day. No. Using, reusing a shopping bag is not quite as bad as not as wearing the same underwear every day. Well, it's the same, I guess, the E. coli. E. coli bacteria. Fecal yeah. Bug. Fecal yeah. Bacteria. Which is uh, why you wash your underwear every day. Yeah. yeah. But you're not wrapping your shopping bag around your junk and wearing it for eight to ten hours a day. So it's not the same thing. <laughs> yeah, but if the if the, I if just said I supermar- like the if supermarket trolleys are fifty percent got E. coli, so you're transferring all the time. You do, that's what they're talking about. You're just transferring. Yeah, and the point I'm still trying to make is it doesn't <laughs> matter yeah. if it's as safe long as levels. You wash your hands. As yeah. They you haven't hands. said that it's unsafe levels until they, just they said no, they haven't. That's scaremongering. They just, they just said you um, yeah, and people do you get food poisoning. People that don't get sick and serves them right. Yeah. People who are immune compromised, perhaps it might be a problem. Mm. Craig, quote us. So this comes from Isaac Asimov, and he says, um, he was quoting some people saying, Don't you believe in flying saucers, they ask me? Don't you believe in telepathy, in ancient astronauts, in the Bermuda Triangle, in life after death? No, I reply. No, 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 and again, no. One person recently, goaded into desperation by the litany of unrelieved negation, burst out, Don't you believe in anything? Yes, I said, I believe in evidence. I believe in observation, measurement and reasoning confirmed by independent observers. I'll believe anything, no matter how wild and ridiculous, if there is evidence for it. The wilder and more ridiculous something is, however, the firmer and more solid the evidence will have to be. Nice. Well done. I also have a choice of words. And instead of... Instead of going with the ones that are um, ever so vaguely relevant to what we're doing, I'm going to go with the one that's not, because I think it's funnier. It's a Zamburak, which is a small cannon carried on the back of a camel. <laughs> right. Zam- Zamburak. Z-U-M-B-O-O-R-U-K. I'm probably might not even be pronouncing that right, but there we go. Okay. Apparently, well, there's a I word one in New Zealand, for a small, can- a small cannon that's carried on a camel's back. back. A camel. That's called a zamburak. It'll be hard for us to find that in this country. <coughs> well, maybe yeah. we have to make one and take it to the zoo. Take it. To, take a photo. And that's it. You've been listening to the completely unnecessary skeptical podcast. If you'd like to send us a message or ask us a question, check out the contact us form. On the website, thecusp.org.nz. 